Well, this morning we are going to continue in the minor prophets. Some of you asked me, are you going to pick another minor prophet? I got to tell you, we're going through all of them, okay? How many of you, well, this, this is a rhetorical question. Don't raise your hands. How many of you have been reading the minor prophets as we've been going? I hope you have. As I said, they're, they're not very long books in the Bible, and they are as relevant really today as they were then. In some cases, almost more relevant. They're powerful, powerful teachings. The little book that we're going to be in today is Habakkuk. And this little book is only like three chapters. Not very many pages, depending on how size, the size of your print. But really, some of the things in Habakkuk, this tiny little book, have been a, used by God to change history. Believe it or not, we'll see this as we look through this book. And I tell my wife, I told her, I said, I think Habakkuk is my favorite minor prophet. She says, I thought you said that was Amos. Well, it just depends on the week. So this week, it's Habakkuk. But I really do appreciate this one because of the way that it's written. You know, most of us, I would guess, have experienced times in our lives, some of us maybe even right now, that we're going through stuff that really stinks. It's terrible. We feel like what we're praying for is going nowhere. We wonder if God's listening to us at all. Does he even care? We go through those times in our lives where things and circumstances aren't pleasant. And the enemy loves those times in our life because he comes with all these thoughts trying to cause us to question God, to question who he is, how much he loves us, how much he cares about us. And sometimes I think because maybe of misunderstanding God or maybe we've been misguided by some kind of teaching somewhere along the line that we can't whine and complain to God a little bit. How many of you know it's okay to whine and complain to God, to just bury your heart to the Lord? You know, look at David. Read some of the Psalms. There were times when he is just crying out to God, where are you? Rescue me. I'm, my bones inside of me are dying. I am oppressed. I am depressed. But he always came full circle to rejoicing and praising God for who he is and what he could do. And we could see this in different places throughout Scripture. That They called it a lament or, a, or a, just a, a complaint. It was a type of prayer that they actually prayed back in those days more so than we probably do today. Because we somehow or other connect my complaining and my questioning and wondering what's going on with God is somehow or other we don't have enough faith. It it usually has nothing to do with our faith, whether we're believing or not. What's happening is I am just being transformed by God by bearing my heart to Him, just crying out to Him and realizing He hears. And that's why I like this book of Habakkuk so much. It's basically a conversation between God and Habakkuk. There's a definite prophecy in there, of course. But we're going to see that Habakkuk is complaining to God. And he's asking these questions. The title of the message is, you know, God, are you absent? Are you even here? Last week we looked at the prophet and we said, what kind of God are you? This week it's, are you even around Do you even exist? Do you even care? How can you be this way? And we got to get a little bit of history of the time of Habakkuk. He he prophesied and and lived during quite a length of time. 
And he had been around when there was real revival in the nation of Israel. When a young boy named Josiah became king, there had been many evil kings. And Josiah became king, and they rediscovered the word of God. And there was revival in the nation. So this prophet, Habakkuk, had experienced revival. I mean, real revival. National revival. He'd experienced it. And then Josiah died. And then we enter into a period of king after king after king. And when you read about them, each one of them pretty much ends with this line, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Habakkuk is living through this. He's watching Israel, which is a divided nation, Judah and Israel. He's watching, I'm going to just refer to them as Israel as a whole. He's watching them live in such a way that it's not pleasing to God at all. And in the back of his mind, he's remembering revival. Now, if you've ever been around revival, experienced revival, even in a smaller degree, man, when, when it seems to wane or it seems like God decides to do something so different, you just, ah, oh, you miss it. You want it back. And I think that's what Habakkuk is going through as he's writing this conversation with God. So we're going to look at it and realize he is just being honest. He is being sincere with the Lord, but he's complaining and he's questioning God. And he's looking at him and saying, God, where are you? Where are you, God? Look around. Don't you see what's going on? Where are you, God? And then he goes on and it's like, okay, I know you're there, but the next question that is attached to the where are you is, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? I mean, if we wanted to step back a little bit and just look at the world today, could you not ask those questions and have some legitimacy to the questions? Looking at what's taking place in the world today, the evil that's in the world today, the wars that are going on today, the cultural revolution that's going on today, the slaughter of life, whether they're unborn babies being aborted or whether it's in our inner cities and not just inner cities anymore where murders are taking place every day, all of these things going on, wouldn't you be able to look back and say, where are you, God? What are you doing? Don't you see what's taking place? Even in your church, God, we could say some of those things. God, you see what's going on in your church? You see what people who go by your name are actually doing, what they're actually involved with? God, what are you doing? Do something. And this is what we see Habakkuk doing. And I just want to encourage each and every one of us, you know, sometimes we can be so misguided that somebody has said something or there's been a teaching that almost limits us in our ability to just share our hearts with God. To let Him know that we're hurting. We're going through things. It's not that our faith is any less. We're just being real with God. And that's okay. That's okay. Don't let anybody condemn you for being real with God. You know, do you not want, if you're a parent, do you not want your children to be real with you? Do you not want them to share what's going on in their heart? Of course we do. And God wants us to be able to do that with him also. So Habakkuk, 
we're going to look at it. It's kind of broken down like this. He has this first question. God answers him. Then he has another question to follow up on what the Lord has answered, and then God answers him again. And then chapter 3, the whole chapter is basically a prayer psalm where he is praying to God. So in the sense of it's a back-and-forth conversation, it ends after chapter 2. But in the reality, Habakkuk's prayer psalm is him communicating with the Lord. And we're going to look at that. Number one complaint, his first complaint. We look out, look at Habakkuk 1, starting in verse 1. The oracle or the vision, the message that Habakkuk the prophet received. And this is what he is saying now. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at all of the injustice? Why do you tolerate all the wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict. They abound. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. This is what he is seeing all around him. Violence, wickedness, injustice. Whether it's in the court system of the day or even the church of the day. He says this is all that's taking place. There's strife, there's division, there's no unity. People are arguing and fighting amongst themselves all the time. Our leadership is totally corrupt. If you go into a court, it doesn't matter because justice will not be served. They're so corrupt. Even the priests, it's all corrupt. Everything. And he's like, God, I've been crying out to you. I've been, I've been telling you what I'm seeing everywhere. How long do I need to cry out? Where are you? How long? Where are you? Why don't you listen to me? Have you ever, ever prayed like this to the Lord? Why don't you dare? Lord, this is going on in my life, and I don't know what else to do. I have been praying for you. I have been seeking your face. I'm asking you to intervene. I'm throwing myself in your mercy. Where are you? That's kind of where Habakkuk was as he's crying out to God and asking these questions. Why aren't you doing something about it? You know, right here we can see a danger, a slippery slope. When we start thinking that way, if we let it go too far, all of a sudden we start drawing conclusions about God from our circumstances. And at the time they seem justified. But it can be total, really, it's total insanity when we do that. A little illustration, a little ridiculous. The assumption is insane. It's a bright, beautiful, sunny day like we have going on outside this morning. But you're in your basement of your house and there's not a single window in the basement. Total darkness all around you. And in my limited intellect, I come to this assumption, the sun is gone. What would you say to me? Mike, you are an idiot. You are insane. Get out of the basement. But we wouldn't call it that. We wouldn't say those things to me if I'm going through this difficult, difficult time and all of a sudden I start to question the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God. 
I could go there and I'm starting to actually question the character of God. It's no less insane than me coming to the conclusion in my dark basement, the sun doesn't exist anymore. And we got to always be careful that we don't go too far and all of a sudden question God's very character, who he is, who he tells us he is in the word of God. Habakkuk is asking those questions, but he's not gone there yet. And then God responds, starting in verse 5 through 11. I'm just going to read verse 5. And God says to him, look around. Look at the nations. Look what's happening in the world around you. At this particular time in history, the Assyrian Empire that we talked about last week is evil and vile as they were. They are now being conquered and they're being replaced by the Chaldeans or the Babylonian Empire. The Chaldeans, Babylonians, same thing. And they're being replaced and they are attacking and they are just as evil, they're just as vile. And God is saying, look around, look among the nations, observe. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Really what he's saying, it's it's too evil to be good. It's too evil to be real. It's too evil to be understood. It's too evil to be true. We sometimes say, oh, it's too good to be true. God's saying, it's too evil to be true. Even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. And of course, when we hear these words, it would put fear and trembling, I would assume, in anybody, including Habakkuk. He says, I'm going to do, I'm doing something. God is saying, I'm doing something. I love that song that we sing, and I never remember titles, but it's even when I don't see it, even when I don't know it, God's moving. He says, I'm doing something. And what I'm doing here is I am summoning the armies of Babylon to come and invade and even take you away into captivity. I'm summoning the armies of the enemy to come and do this work. And if I'm Habakkuk, I'm going, God, I think we've got to back up. That's not what I'm asking for. I don't want the enemy to come and conquer and punish. But God is saying that's exactly what I'm going to do. The Babylonian Empire was being birthed in all of its power and might, and they are coming. You know, this, this particular phrase that you see in the Scripture here, the Apostle Paul quoted this very thing when he was preaching to the church in Antioch, which eventually became this amazing missionary church. But he came to them and said, I'm doing something. And to get your attention. And it gets their attention. And he goes through all of this and and Habakkuk is, in my mind, Habakkuk's just shaking his head going, are you kidding me? You're going to use this evil empire to get the attention of your people, your chosen people? And fortunately, God ends this part of the conversation in verse 11 by saying, but they'll be held guilty. Don't you worry. They will be punished. And he even makes a comment. 
these people whose strength or whose God, <clears throat> excuse me, whose God is their strength. They had made a God of their military power, just like the Assyrians did before them. And that's what he's saying. And now you can imagine this conversation so far. Habakkuk is complaining, lamenting, crying out to God, where are you? And God answers him, and, and it's not what he was expecting. Certainly not what he was wanting. And his response, as we read through chapter 2, it would be something like this. Are you kidding me? What are you doing? They are worse than us. You're going to use the Chaldeans to punish us when they're more evil than we are. God, this makes no sense. How could you? They worship their military power. They conquer nations and they conquer people just to build their own empire. They treat human beings like animals. They're an evil, evil people. And he goes on and he says, how can you? And then he gets a little personal. How can you? You're holy. You're a holy, righteous God. How can you even look on these people? How much less how can you use these people to do this? as your instruments. And it's interesting, Habakkuk, even though he was being sincere and honest, he was pretty confident in his position. He was pretty confident in questioning God. When you see verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, it says this. So this is Habakkuk. He says, I'm going to stand watch. It's a picture of us like the watchman on the tower or a watchman on the wall. He says, I'm going to stand watch, and I'm going to wait. He says in verse 1, I will stand watch and station myself on the rampart. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. I'm going to wait. God, I got, it's almost like I've got you, sort of. You know you're holy. You know you're righteous. They're evil. How can you do I'm going to wait now until you answer me. Well, he didn't have to wait very long. God responds. And his first words were basically this. Write this down. Record the vision. I want you to write this down, and I want you to write it down in plain, simple language. So when the messenger takes it and goes around the nation proclaiming it, everybody gets it. Everybody understands. So write it down. Starting in verse 2 of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, it says, The Lord replied, Write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time, it speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it lingers, you wait for it. It will certainly come, and it will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by faith but the righteous will live by faith. First of all, judgment will come. God is assuring him, and it isn't a message unique to the Babylonians and what's going to happen there. It's not a message unique to just Judah and Israel at that time. There's a prophetic part to this message. Then in the future, there is going to be a judgment. I may use them, but I don't endorse them. I may, I may allow them to come and, and get my people's attention, but I don't approve of what they do. I don't approve of their evil. And there will be a day that I am going to judge them. And it's going to come. It will happen. There has been an appointed time. Though it lingers, don't doubt it. It's going to happen. And for the Babylonians, of course, it did happen. 
Jerusalem and all that was destroyed. Boy, there was judgment on God's people. And it happened then, but just like it will happen one day in the future. And if we, we wanted to go down that road, we can see a whole study of end times prophecy. That God says, I'm going to hold every nation and every people group accountable. There will come a day and there will come a time. And he says, but the righteous will live by faith. Some translations, if you flip it over, it's all, almost like those who live righteously by faith will live. The righteous will live by faith. That little verse, whether you know it or not, has impacted the way you and I live and the way we believe. Paul quoted that verse in Romans 1, verse 17, when he was introducing really the principle of righteousness by faith instead of works. The righteous will live by faith. Martin Luther discovered that verse and the Protestant Reformation took place. The righteousness lived by faith. Our salvation is not by works, it is by faith. And it goes all the way back to Paul quoting in Romans Habakkuk the prophet in about 605 B.C. This little verse, this little book, this little minor prophet impacting the world. God knew, and then it goes in, and I'm not going to go through all this, but if you'll read chapter 2, you'll see at least four or five woes laid out. Woe to, woe to, woe to. And he's really saying, I know how evil these people are. And listen to what the things are that he points out in their evilness. They are proud people. Proud. They are a greedy people. They are a violent people. One of the woes is they are drunken people. And they're idolaters. Woe to them for these things. They will be judged. The time is coming. The date has been appointed. As he said before, and we'll see as time continues to unfold before us, every single nation is going to be held accountable by God for what they've done. And then there's an interesting verse. It's at the end of chapter 2, verse uh, 19. 20. Verse 20. It ends this way. After going through all of these woes, it says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. God is holy. In spite of what's going on, he is holy. And then it says, let all the earth be silent before him. There might be a message for us in that little verse too. There is a time to just be silent before the Lord. Be silent before the Lord. Have your conversation. Ask God what you want. But there is a time to just rest silently before the Lord and listen. Listen to what He has to say and speak to our lives. And as I said, chapter 3 then goes into a prayer. It's not part of the back and forth conversation, but it is now Habakkuk praying to God. So in a sense, he just obviously having a conversation. But as you go through it, it's basically a summary of what took place. It's kind of a summary that says that, God, I cried out to you and told you my complaints, that you weren't doing anything. And you told me you were doing something. 
you're doing something. I might not understand it. I don't understand what you're doing. But Lord, just keep doing it. Even though I don't understand it, if it's your plan, if it's your purposes, Lord, just keep doing it. I'm scared. I'm fearful. I mean, his bones are weakened inside of him just hearing what God is going to do. He says, I'm, I'm fearful, but Lord, you keep doing it. Keep working. Keep your work alive, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't like it. But remember this. He says, Lord, just keep doing what you're doing. Complete your work. But Lord, remember your mercy. Remember your mercy. And whatever it is you're doing, remember also you are a merciful God, merciful towards your people. And Habakkuk 3, 16 through 19. These verses have had special meaning to me for a couple of reasons. One of our elders who passed away a few years ago, Glenn Larson, used this verse, pointed this verse out in ministry so many times. Over and over, I heard him share this with so many of you that are even in here. And we want to get a picture of the power of these verses. Remember, we're basically in an agrarian culture. They're farmers. They're living off the land. The crops and the animals they produce. That's their sustenance. That's their economy. And he says, after all of the things that have been said in his conversation with God, Habakkuk writes these words. I heard, meaning he heard what the Lord said, and my heart pounded. My lip quivered at the sound. See, I can relate to Habakkuk. Some of you that pick on me about my quivering lower lip. If you have not seen it, you are blessed. He says, My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And then he says these words. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk is saying, if everything is gone, if everything is lost, no matter how it may make me feel, I am going to rejoice. My joy is going to be in the Lord. In verse 18 that I just read there, it says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior, or my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. There's two words there, rejoice. And sometimes you've heard me say how the words in the original language are more powerful maybe and give us a clearer picture. But that rejoice means to jump for joy. It means to exalt God. It means to triumph. I will jump for joy in the Lord. I will exalt in the Lord. And I will triumph in the Lord. And then he says, I will be joyful in God my Savior. And what that word means is I'm going to spin around. 
spin around. Wouldn't that be an interesting looking church? We're going to be jumping around. We're going to be shouting. We're going to be exalting. We're going to be declaring our triumph in the Lord, no matter what we're going through, going through. And I am going to spin like a top in exalting you. I think that'd be a really fun church. I think we need to learn from some of the things we see. But he's saying, that's how I'm going to respond, even if everything else is gone. Everything else is gone. That's how I'm going to respond to you. Man, for our natural mind, when we face our circumstances, to land on that spot is hard. We need to be rooted in our faith. And trust me, I believe we need to be surrounded with the fellowship of like-minded believers. People that love us and care about us. That will speak truth into our life. Will remind us in the darkest of times who our God is and how faithful he is, how loving he is. We need one another to help us in those darkest of times so that we can rejoice to jump for joy, to jump in victory, to jump in triumph, even in the middle of that mess, that darkness that we're in, to spin around and worship God. There's only one way to do that. When we're in those situations, our flesh does not want to go there. We need to do it by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look through the writings of a man like Habakkuk, God, we can see your heart, that you as our Heavenly Father want us to bear our hearts to you, that it is a transformational process in our faith walk with you, that we begin to see in greater and greater ways just how amazing you are. God, and I thank you for the body of Christ, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ to walk with us through the good times and the not-so-good times, that we can speak life and love one another. And sometimes we can just sit with them and be silent. Lord, I pray that as we look through these minor prophets, you continue to do a work in the present time in our lives that we would be able to say like Habakkuk, God, if everything's gone, we're still going to worship you. We're still going to rejoice in you. We're still going to find our joy in you. And Lord, we pray these things that in it you would receive all the glory and honor as we walk by faith. Lord, and I pray now as this week begins to unfold before us, we continue to pray for your protection over this facility and all of the people that are going to be here. God, there's going to be 80 kids, 50 volunteers, and there's going to be activity going everywhere. And we ask and pray and just beg you to let your Holy Spirit be in the midst of it all, ministering to young people and old people alike. God, we pray for your protection and safety. And we just pray you would bless all those that are going to give and have already been giving of their time and their talents to make this happen. 
We, Lord, we pray that if there be any children in the community or the surrounding communities that maybe have heard about it but don't know if they can come or should come, we pray, God, you would prompt them to call or even just bring their kids. Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness and your provision for us. In Jesus' name, amen.